subject of prayer. And uh, one of the things about that is uh, you could think, well, man, we've really uh, charted you know, this long course and worked through a lot of different things. But the reality is, is there's so much to study in the Scripture. And really, the whole Bible can set the stage for us to understand more fully who God is and what He has uh, done for us and what He has said to us and how we might pray that those things would be true of us. The whole Bible kind of reflects that. Also, I mean, if you study the Psalms, you realize there's a lot of prayers. And, and uh, even this, this uh, song, the last song that we uh, were singing, just, just the last song that we did together, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul, it's a reminder of a prayer that, that comes out of a, a heart that longs to be close to the Lord and to seek the Lord and experience His presence and to, to, to enter into a heart and a spirit of, of coming before Him. All those things, I think, are just important to say. And, and I would just say, like in the Psalms, one writer says that there, in the Psalms we see every human emotion. We see hope and fear and rage and doubt and faith and despair and betrayal and love and discouragement and loneliness and much more. And the reality is, if you were to say, like, do we study all that in our study through the prayers of Paul? And we'd say, no, we haven't touched on all of those things. There's so many areas where we could grow and learn and we just don't we're not going to spend month after month we could spend the next year probably studying things on prayer and so this is our last study but we have and, and just as a reminder we focused on the the prayers of paul and what they focus on is this that you would have a growing faith a growing love for one another a hope in the future for what christ is going to accomplish for us and just a vision of the future that one day jesus will return and all things will be made right. All of those things kind of seem to come to the heart of what, what's going on over and over and over in this study. So I, I, I say that because I want you to just think, like you could spend a lot of time, maybe you can say like the next month I would read a psalm a day and just learn to pray more faithfully by doing that. And so just encourage you in that. The other thing to say is this, this prayer today is really almost like a prayer request. It's a little bit different than what we've done before. Usually... Paul is praying for others. Here, he is asking the church to pray for him, which is kind of a unique thing because sometimes you say, did Paul ever ask for prayer? Did Paul ever need prayer? Did Paul need it because he was just so spiritual? Maybe he didn't need any of that. He just prayed for other people and never asked anything of himself. Well, that's not reality because there are times where he is going to ask the church to pray for him. There are multiple occasions where we see that in the Scripture. And so I just kind of bring that out and lay that out for you. So what's this prayer about? Just kind of get in your mind this morning. It's a request for protection from those who might hinder Paul's ministry. So that's the first aspect of that. He's praying for protection. It's also for good reception with believers, which is kind of odd. He's kind of concerned about when he goes into Jerusalem, how he's going to be received by the saints that are there. And then he also is praying with the idea that in the future that he'll be able to go to Rome, be a blessing to the church there, and then move on to Spain. So those things are kind of all-encompassing here. Again, protection from the enemies of the gospel, uh, the ability to have reception with the people in Jerusalem, and then the ability to go to Rome for the very first time, share the gospel with them, be ministered to by them, and be sent off to another missionary journey. That's kind of what he's praying for, asking them to partner with him in. And hopefully today you'll see as you kind of move forward how that might connect to you. So let's pray together as we get started this morning. Father, we know that we face spiritual battles. Sometimes it's in the form of people, but we know they're deeper than that, that there is a spiritual war 
that we encounter. There are hindrances in the spiritual realm that we that face us that with rebellious people on this earth, and sometimes it seems like they could overcome the ministry that we have been called to. We know, Lord, that sometimes even with the best intentions as we try to minister to one another, they're not received well because of our sinfulness and pride and many different reasons why it's hard sometimes to minister within your church. Father, we also know that often we have opportunities and we have desires and longings to be used by you. And yet those things seem to be uh, hindered in some way and yet we have to trust you. And I just pray today we would see that, that we need wisdom and patience as we seek to do your will on this earth. In Christ's name, amen. So if you'll do something with me real quick, if you because just hold your place in Romans 15. If you'll just flip back to Romans chapter 1, I think it's always important to look at a summary of a book because we're just kind of jumping in a book in chapter 15. Just, just kind of a quick summary there. Uh, it, you'll see three I am statements in one, Romans 1, verses 14 through 17. You see those? He says, I am... And you'll notice step by step through that, he lays out, I am under obligation. I am eager. I am not ashamed. Those three statements, as you're looking at, he is, he is laying out, he's not, what, what are they all about? It's about the gospel. At the heart of the study of Romans, it's the gospel. Notice in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. Paul's the centrality of his message is the message of the gospel. What is the gospel? What he lays out in Romans is that there is a holy God whose wrath is against all of the ungodliness and immorality in this world. This holy God stands in, in, in a holy wrath against sinful humanity. That He speaks not only to the irreligious people that don't know anything about God, but He also speaks to those who have the Old Testament. And He's saying, listen, all the people everywhere, Jew and Gentile, the whole world, stands condemned under God's wrath because of their rebellion against Him. The Bible says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the thing. Then it lays out for us, we're not going to go into all that, but there is God's response to that. His wrath against sinful humanity, man completely condemned, without hope in the world, and then God responds. He sends His Son, who is the righteous requirement of the law, by His obedience to it, He lives a perfect life, and by His sinful death on the cross, or his not His sinful death, His death on the cross that took our sin. So that what happens there is that God, in Christ, Christ comes, He lives the life we never lived, He dies the death that we deserve so that we could stand before God righteous in Him. The way that we enter into this Gospel is through repentance and faith. We turn away from our sin and we trust in Christ alone by His righteous life, death, and the resurrection that validated that God was satisfied with the requirements that Jesus had met. He was satisfied with those and therefore we can enter in by faith resting in what Jesus has accomplished alone for salvation. That's what's going on over and over in Romans. It's going to be unpacked in very clear form. And so when you're thinking about that, at the very central focus of this is that he wants to preach the gospel. Now here's the key. 
Turn back to Romans 15. I just want you to think about this for a moment. And, and, and one, of the, one of the things you see in 15, 14 through 16, he, there's an aspect of Paul wanting to found the church more fully in the Gospel. He wants to solidify their understanding of the Gospel. He wants them to be faithful to the Lord in every respect. Now here's the thing. And I grew up a lot of times thinking that the Gospel was for those who had yet to believe, but not to those who believed. But the reality is, when Paul wants the church to grow up in the Lord, he preaches the Gospel. You need the Gospel as much today as you ever needed the Gospel. It is the means by which you are transformed on the inside that reflects on the outside is a right understanding of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he lays that out for them. He wants them to continue to grow. And what he does is, is he explains the Gospel message so that it kind of reiterates in their heart so they understand and firms up any questions they might have. So just kind of to say that to you, just to think through. Now in 15, 17 through 21, he tells them that he is proud of the work of God in Christ Jesus that he has done. He says everything that's happened, every aspect of his ministry is a result of Christ at work in him. You see, running back to the Gospel... It is not that Paul said, I'm saved, and therefore then I'm going to go out and live this life on my own and try to do as much for God as possible. It is not Him that's doing it. It is not His power that's accomplishing it. The transformation of Him within and the ministry without all is a result of the working of God in Christ through the Spirit in His life. And so he is proud of what is taking place place there and he is he is bringing all the glory to God and he goes on and says so Paul goes on to say that by the grace of God he's traveled through all kinds of regions preaching the gospel this is what he would do he would go proclaim the gospel people would believe the gospel churches would be planted and then he would go to another place he was like a missionary if you were to study, like, and you spent some time reading about missionary, you know, history and what's going on in the modern mission movements, you'll notice over and over, and, and really even today in a much more clear way, one of the things that we see is that there are a lot of people, for instance, with the International Mission Board, where they are, they send somebody in, they'll try to preach the gospel, people will believe, and then they'll try to just as quick as they can, leap, kind of set up leaders go to the next place. They're, they're, it's a, they're desiring a church planting movement across the world. That's what they long to see. Now here's what happens with Paul, just to kind of get in your mind. He travels around, really, now here's what he's going to say. He's saying from Jerusalem to this region that's like, kind of like Albania. And so if you were to travel by land and you go up through Turkey and go west and you go on down to, towards um, Greece and then you go up north a little bit, that's Albania. It's somewhere around a thousand miles. Paul had traveled through all of these regions and he's preaching the gospel. And he would also often go to like a cultural center. 
and he would go and proclaim the gospel there, and then he would say, I believe what's going to happen is out of these churches in these centers, these major cities of commerce, that these people will go out and they'll go to the little small towns and all that kind of stuff. And so in his mind, even though he hadn't reached everybody, he hadn't preached the gospel in every town, he would go to major towns and as he went through there, knowing that there would be people coming in, probably hearing the message, there would be missionaries sent out of these larger cities and go and reach people all around. So in Paul's mind, at this point, there is a gospel witness. Now that's not for everybody, and I think it's important that we say that. But there are people that God calls to go to the every nation, tribe, tongue, uh, and people. He's doing that even now. There are children here, potentially, in this church that God is going to call them to go to unreached people groups in our world. As a parent, you should long for your children to be used most to the glory of God, and you should be praying that the Lord would use them, would give maximum impact to the nations, whatever that may be, whether that's at home or abroad, that God would call and raise up people like this. Look at verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the Gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul's ministry was to go out, spread the Gospel in an area, go to the next area, and go to the next area, and go to the next area. And he longed to do that. Look at verses 22-29. through Because we just kind of have to move through and get a picture of what's going on. He tells them that all of his, this work in uh, this gospel witness that he has here um, has, has led to like these growing churches and, and there's some thriving churches, but then he wants to do something here very unique. He is going, he's gone around to these churches and he said, look, the Jerusalem church has been struggling. We need to raise up some support for them. And so what he does is he raises some financial support and this money is given and Paul is going to drop it off and give aid to the people in Jerusalem. He takes this contribution and he travels many, many miles to do so at a great personal expense. Now, when he's going back to Jerusalem, he's been warned over and over, there's going to be trouble there. I mean, there's been people coming to him and said, you know, really under the Lord's direction saying, you are going to face great hostility there. There's going to be great trouble there. And, and so we understand that there's some difficulties that are going to take place. Now, Jerusalem was where it all started. The church was first founded there. At the day of Pentecost, many believed the Gospel and the church kind of grew there. But here's the thing. It was the cultural and religious center of Judaism and so there was a lot of animosity. They thought these people were heretics. They were rebelling against God. They had rejected God's Word. They, they rejected the Old Testament. There was extreme trouble that would be taking place there. If you were a Jewish person as a Christian living in Jerusalem at that time, you would probably have faced great financial difficulty and some even lost their lives. There was horrific things taking place. And so he, is, he understands that and Paul knows that they need help and they need someone to, to support them and so he sends uh, resources through these churches. He's going to be the one that takes it there. And so it's just important that we note that. Just keep moving here and just kind of think about this. Galatians 2.10, that's what the apostles said to them. If you've ever read much about the Jew and Gentile thing, you realize that the church in Jerusalem, there, there was kind of this struggle where people were saying, can Gentiles really believe the Gospel? And ultimately they came to the conclusion that they could, but they said, hey, just remember the poor. And one of the ways to do that would be to remember the people in Jerusalem. Now, a couple of things by application. 
one. The, the Gospel needs to be at the center of Christian ministry. The Gospel needs to be. Sometimes you could go to a church and they would talk about marriage in a very wise way would say, here's some really good marriage tips. Not rooted and grounded in the Gospel. Here's how to raise your kids. Not rooted and grounded in the Gospel. Here's how to make yourself really happy. Not rooted and grounded in the Gospel. There is a way in Christian ministry, and we have it all around us, where there is a rejection of the Gospel. Paul centered the church in the Gospel. The second thing that you would say is that part of the Christian, our calling as a people, we are a missionary people. Did you know that? We are a people that are a sending people. We long to see people come to faith. We want, the, listen, we want the gospel to go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. We will sit in heaven with, the, with people from all over the world. There will be praises being sung from people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we should be praying for the advancement of the Gospel in these places. Another thing, just a third thing to think about by way of application, this does not trump our commitment to fellow believers. I think that's one of the things you see with Paul. He put his missionary endeavors on hold to build and establish the church in Jerusalem and to alleviate their struggle. I just think it's a very powerful thing to note. It did not trump His love for fellow believers. He would serve them even if it cost Him His life. That's a very astonishing truth for us. He had been told you are going to face great trouble if you go here. Fourth thing, just by way of application to think through as we're moving through this, this thing here. He, when he goes there, um, when he goes into Jerusalem and he is in prison, all those kind of things, he's going there with financial support to deal with, to love those who, have, who are struggling greatly financially. And I think that's a powerful thing. Sometimes we think that, that the church is supposed to deal with all the financial woes of the whole world. But, but you see, over and over, they are taking care of the household of faith. And so, I just kind of lay that out for you as we move through and think through what's taking place. Now, as we get here from Matt to Romans 15, verse 30, we kind of get into the heart of the prayer request. Could somebody grab me some water, a cup of water? I think I'm about to lose my... Thanks. In, in, in Romans chapter 15, verse 30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. What does it mean to appeal? When he says, I appeal to you, brothers, I mean, there, there's something very powerful there. It is an urging of the brothers, it is a calling them to join with him in something. It is a high calling here to strongly exhort one to come. So I want you to see that. I appeal to you, brothers, 
by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. It's it's almost like to grab you and say, listen, I want that etched into your conscience. I want you to wake up and come alongside me, striving together for this purpose. Another passage in Romans where he uses this phrase is Romans chapter 12, where he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and uh, sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I think it's important to say this. Chapters 1 through 11, he unveils for you the mercy of God in Christ. In chapter 12, he heightens that by saying, now you live in such a way that you would honor God with your whole life, seeing your life as a sacrificial offering to God, an act of worship, every aspect of your life. And now he's saying, I'm appealing to you, brothers. Now notice what it says, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Notice what's going on there. Why does he say that by by the Lord Jesus Christ? It's like saying, I I appeal to you by your Lord and Master, the general that you have, the ruler of your life, the one who not only saved you, but now is your authority. He speaks to you and He is your Lord and you are to obey I'm appealing to you by the one who gave his life, but now you in response to his giving of his life to you are now saying, Lord, whatever you want for me, you are my general, you are my captain, you are my ruler. And he is saying, listen to me, I am praying, I'm asking you to pray alongside me in light of the Lord Jesus Christ calling you to bear with one another and to walk through uh, prayerfully considering the needs of others first. And by the love of the Spirit, what's taking place there? The love of the Spirit, I just think it's important to say the Spirit of God, the genuine work of the Spirit produces love for one another. It's the comfort of the Spirit, His His constant companionship, the uniting work of the Spirit that brings love for one another. I'm appealing to you for that. That you look to those things. This prayer thing is not just me asking you to do something. It is tied to something. It is tied to the fact that Jesus is Lord over your life. And He is calling you to serve alongside the people of God as they engage in mission, as they seek to do the ministry. Why are you sitting there doing nothing when you could be engaging in the ministry by your prayers? Why do you think, let's not get on our knees. Why is that not your first response when you're seeking to do the work of the ministry? Why is it that we are so slow that we don't sense an urgency, an earnestness, a persistence in prayer? It's because we don't think we need the power of God. We don't need the working of God. We don't want to see Him work in our world. We are so busy living our lives for ourselves that we don't need God to work? Is that what it is? Is that why we're so slow to get on our knees? Is We just don't sense an urgency for the Gospel's advancement, for the good of the church, 
for the deliverance of those who are facing persecution in the face of great trouble as they're seeking to advance the gospel? What's most important here? Paul is urging them. Why is there not an urgency for these things? Do we not believe that there's a spiritual battle? When was the last time? I mean, I used to as a child love. It was my favorite hymn, and I don't know why. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. I thought about it over and over and over again. And I think, where is that urgency? I believe it was this last week. I get my weeks kind of mixed up. But the week before, this older man, at the very end of the week, he passed away and his name was L.B. Jordan. And he was a pastor at um, First Baptist Wake Village when I was a child. And the guy, uh, one of the things you could never say about him, he, that he was not passionate about what he was doing. He absolutely was on fire for the things of God. One of his, uh, his, I guess his only daughter-in-law, she talked about him as a general. He, he always, he, it was kind of one of those things you felt like he was always rounding up the troops and trying to prepare them for war. I mean, that, that was a sense of urgency to be prepared for battle, to go into this, this darkness and to pursue people with the gospel of peace. He saw it that way. And he would just chew you out. I mean, and just beat you down. Like, you just think, good night, this guy just whipped me. And then he'd be hugging on you. And you'd think, he loves me and he spanked me at the same time. How did he do that? But I think it's important that we say, at the very heart of this, Paul is urging them to come alongside him. Ephesians chapter 6, and this is one of the reasons why, Paul actually believed that there was a spiritual battle. He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you believe that that exists? Do you believe that there are spiritual forces at work here in the present do you believe that there is a spiritual battle that is unseen and if you could take your blinders off and see the spiritual realm, it would blow your mind the war that's going on at this present time. And that you need to get up every day and pray that God would help you put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of Satan. Do you believe that to be true? We have gotten away in America from that. We believe that if there's ever any kind of struggle, it must be medical, it must be physical, it must be tangible to the eyes, or it must be something psychological. It's certainly not a spiritual battle. But I'm telling you, the battleground is now, and the battleground is for you to put on the armor of God and to fight against the schemes of Satan, and part of the battle is won through prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And notice what Paul says there again. And also for me, 
that words may be given me in opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in change that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Should we be praying for one another? Should there be an urgency? A longing to see God work mightily for God's ministry to move forward? The answer is, of course we should. We should not just sitting sit back and not pursue prayer. Listen to me. Prayer is work. It is work. It's a spiritual discipline that often is more hard for most of us than any other thing. You may love Bible study and just love to everybody to do a Bible study and it's real tangible for you. And you can check off the list how you've studied through this and studied through that and read this. You may love to read and you read all these books and you go through all this stuff, but oftentimes people don't love to pray because something about prayer is very difficult for us. But it's part of living this out. It is the ministry of the Word and prayer. At the heart of what we ought to be doing is prayerfully sharing the Word and the power of the Spirit as we encounter great difficulty in the face of this hostile world. We are begging God to empower us to accomplish the work that He has for us. Now, Paul solicits prayer, verse 31, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to all the saints. Now, the first thing you see, there's actually two things here. One is deliverance. The second one is that he wants to have a good reception with the saints. Now, why does he pray for deliverance? Now, some of us really, again, we already mentioned this, but you know Paul it was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was up really high in the spiritual world in Jerusalem and Judea. I mean, he was, he didn't live there, but he traveled there. He was well known. He was a persecutor of the church. And listen, when he was converted, that was, oh mercy, I mean, you can't imagine the trouble that would have come. And when he shows up in town, and he's been this guy that's making all this noise with the gospel, and he shows up there, there's going to be trouble. When it says unbelievers, it's not like the fact that we know that there are unbelievers all throughout Texarkana. But they could care less what you're doing here this morning. Do you know that? They're not like at war against you. You're not going to walk out today and they're going to be taking shots at you as you're trying to get to your car. I mean, it's just not happening. There are unbelievers in there. They just don't believe the gospel. Or, or there's people that you would say maybe are unbelievers even though they profess some kind of relationship to the gospel. They may go to church, but they don't love Christ. They don't love His people. They don't love His Word. They don't really believe in Christ. But they're not, there's not an animosity towards the gospel. These people that he's speaking of here, they, are, they see Paul as someone who's abandoned the faith. He's a blasphemer, and he, is wor- he, he, needs, he needs to die. And they're ready to take him out. And so I just think it's important that you see that. And so when Paul's talking about this, he, he's going there, and listen, like I said earlier, in the book of Acts, over and over, people are saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You are crazy if you go there. You realize one guy came up, he took his hands and he tied his hands up and tied his feet up and said, you're going to be in prison if you go there. And he gave him this visual example and you think, Paul, are you seriously going to go there? Again, you see his love for the church. 
here. I mean, let me just think about that for a moment. If you knew you had to travel a thousand miles by ship and by walking and all that kind of stuff for the church just to bless them as they struggled, and you knew you're going to prison if you went there, how would that how would that shape up? I mean, for some of us, we think it's a big deal to come on Sunday mornings. Just to drive 10 minutes in your car with AC. You would think it would be a really big deal if you actually invited somebody over for dinner. Or invested some time through a phone call or a card. Or prayed 30 minutes a day for the people of God at Christ Community Church. This guy's facing prison. So as he goes there, it's, it's, it's important that we see as we're moving through here that he is going to face great trouble. And so he's saying, I'm praying for deliverance. The second thing is reception. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing because could, could you imagine, I mean, what, don't this church, I mean, would he not think that the church would know the guys just traveled so far from so far away to bring them stuff that they would be grumbling when he got there? Does that seem kind of weird that he's praying that he would be received? How does that work? I mean, have you ever heard of someone ministering the gospel somewhere and the church hates them? The church is always seeking to try to destroy that ministry. How many people have we heard of that are ministering in a body and they've cast them out? You hear about this all the time now. Some of them may have struggled in this position. Paul was an enemy in their minds of the early church. They may have still thought that Paul was going to come after them in some way. Some of them may have struggled with the fact that there were Gentile people collecting money to give to the Jewish people, and they have been like, I can't stand Gentile people. Maybe, just maybe they've heard the Gospel, maybe they believe it, but I don't want anything to do with them. We have people in our world like that, that they would say, look, there's probably Christians in that part of the world, but I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want nothing to do with them. And and again, they could have all kinds of things, and Paul could have wondered what all might have been faced there. Some of them might have thought, this high-profile Paul is going to cause us so much trouble that people are going to die because he's come here. There's so many different things, but Paul prays that he would have reception with them. So not only is he praying that he would have deliverance from those who are enemies of the Gospel, but also that he would have a good reception with the believers that are there. Now, verse 32, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Paul is not just so cared about his own life. Now, here's what he tells us in Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul has already decided that living this life is of little uh, it's not of great concern to him. Living longer on this life, that's not his biggest concern. But he wants to be, have fruitful labor is what Philippians tells us. And so he's saying here, so that I may, by God's will, I may come to you and with joy and be refreshed in your company. Not only as he shares the gospel, but as they share the work of God in their life, he wants to see the church in Rome. He's heard about them. He loves them. He desires to see great things for them. But he also wants to reach out to the lost world. Do you know how old Paul is right now? Dude's pretty old. you know that? He's older. He should be a retired minister sitting back and chilling. He's already fought the good fight. Just kind of take it easy, man. Spent my whole life in ministry. 
been left for dead on many occasions. I'll just sit back. Find me a little retirement center. Oh. Is that what he's thinking? There's no place for that in his mind. Paul is wanting to see the Gospel advance in new regions, knowing that he will encounter great trouble in that, but he longs to see it. He wants greater service in the church. He wants to be useful in the church and across the world, even late in his life. He's not just this young guy that you think, man, he's on fire. How long will he last? He's this guy that's walked with the Lord for years and years and years, and now he continues to want to see the gospel advancement. He's saying, take me to the, the, the hardest places. It's like Caleb. You remember Caleb that wanted to go in the promised land? And then he had to kick back and wait for 40 years as these rebellious people died off and a new generation rose up. And Joshua and Caleb waited and waited. And when the time came, Caleb said, you point me to the most difficult people. I'm going there. Don't you want that for your life? Don't you want to see the Gospel advance? Don't you want as your family, as you pray together as a family, God, use us mightily to proclaim the Gospel. Maybe to people they've never heard. Maybe they've never believed. Maybe they're in our, our ball team or in our neighborhood somewhere that we might be able to proclaim that good news. Fourth thing that you see, and I think it's important. If you read the rest of the story of Paul, you know what you find out? I'm not sure that you'd say his prayer was fully answered you know that? Paul goes to Jerusalem. They go crazy. They're about to kill him. He says, I'm a Roman citizen. And so they decide to uh, send him to some Gentile leaders. The Gentile leaders, again, he has to say that again. I'm a Roman citizen. He spends some time with them. Right before, I mean, they're almost about to kill him. And then he spends some time with them. They finally say, Paul says, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. Paul ends up going to Rome, but he goes there as a prisoner. I mean, he's shipwrecked on the way. It's just wild stuff that goes on with him. And then, listen, he, he's really a prisoner in house arrest for a couple of years, and then we hear nothing more of Paul. In the end of Acts, it just says he was sharing the gospel as they come to see him, and that's it. Tradition has it that he... Uh, that he was killed under the Nero, under his rule and all those things. That, that was the, what the tradition is. But I just think it's important that you understand. Now, he did get to take the money. But he wasn't completely delivered from those evil men. He was at the last minute delivered. And he did get to go to Rome. But it wasn't like he was going there freely able to do whatever ministry. And we don't have any indication that he ever went to Spain. Paul's prayer that seemed to be aligned with the will of God, with a longing for what God's about, it's, it's kind of questionable in my mind if it was actually answered, specifically, let's say, in the way that he thought it would be. We might say it that way. I mean, it's answered, ultimately. All prayer is at one level or another. But, but you know, when in our lives, a lot of times, even when you want good things, it doesn't always work out like you'd think would be best. I just think that's important to say. We are at, at so many levels, we will struggle. Listen, 
as you get serious, let's say you really, you and I get serious about seeking to do the will of God and to share the gospel of God with people, you know as you do that that it's not going to be easy. If you started saying, I want to minister in this body, just I want to minister the people here, it's not going to be easy all the time, right? It, sometimes you'll think, oh, I don't know how I'm being received by them. Sometimes you're going to think, do they really care that what, what I'm doing here? Am I really being helpful to this body? If you got really serious about saying, look, I'm going to do invest my resources in the things of the kingdom, sometimes you wouldn't see it come out and look very good. Sometimes you think, well, what's God actually doing? It, let's say if you were to try to take the gospel to a different part of your neighborhood and you begin to speak to all these people that you know, not everybody's going to receive you. Not everybody's going to listen to what you have to say. There's going to be some struggle in the process. And ultimately, we don't really know. Sometimes we have this idea that if you do God's work, it's always going to go well. We don't know that. And yet we know that the God in heaven who rules and reigns over all, in the end, He is accomplishing His plan that we can't see. A lot of our lives is walking by faith and not by sight, not doing what we cannot see, trusting in His power, relying on His Spirit to do the work of the ministry. We should have big visions for the kingdom of God. And it's, it's so much bigger than just Christ Community Church. We should long to see the gospel go to the uttermost parts of the world. We should long to see that. We don't know how that will take place. Paul didn't completely know. He went to a lot of different regions. He was hindered from going to other places. But God is doing His work and He promised that He would build His church. So we rest in those promises even if we face difficulty in the present as we do it and we don't see it all come together in the time that we would like. We rest in the sovereign God who is good and who is more about doing His work for His glory than you will ever be. But I just encourage you this morning that you would come alongside this church and that you would begin to pray. And that you would pray for the advancement of the ministry of the Gospel for the building up of the church, for the reaching the lost world, and that you would entrust the results to God, but that you would not sit by idly and do nothing. You would pursue it with all of your might. Strive together with us. Let's pray. Father, we just ask today, as we conclude our study on prayer, that You would not allow us to just sit by and not diligently pray for one another for deliverance, for reception with one another as we seek to, to grow each other in the Lord, and for a heart set on flame with a Gospel that would reach those who have yet to be reached Most of us, Lord, who've walked with You for a long time realize that many things don't turn out the way we thought they would in our ministries, in our lives, in, in our work, in our, in, our, in our families. There's so many different things that come at us, Lord, but we trust You 
that you will accomplish your work in your time, in your ways. And we just ask for the patience and the endurance in the face of the trouble that we may face in this present world. God, please make us a people who are striving together with one another in the prayer closet, in corporate times of prayer, at all times alert, putting on the full armor of God, praying that for one another. We ask you to do that. In Christ's name, amen.